Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. Thank you all for joining me here in my house at Gospel Saving Church in my home in McKinney, Texas. And thank you guys for and gals for coming from all over the world and SoundCloud. God bless you. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, in case it's your first time joining us today. We are going to be today in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 through 10. That's just kind of if you guys want to start getting there, and I'll read that after my thoughts from last week's message and my prayer real quick. I always pray to start off because I was just telling my congregation, I just can't do this without Jesus. I can't do this unless God helps me do this. I, this is not an easy thing to do for me, and, and, uh, but, but with God's help, we could do all things. Through Christ, we could do all things through He who strengthens us. So let's pray, and let's, uh, let's ask the Lord for a blessing on our service and to help us hear and understand what He has to tell us today. Thank you so much, Lord for your word. And thank you so much, Lord, that your word brings life. Lord, you gave your sacrifice on the cross almost 2,000 years ago, and you gave us a way to live after that, Lord. And you you paid a sacrifice, and then you said, here's how you're supposed to come to me. Lord, now most people don't know, Lord, how you said to come to you, but Lord, and it's been skewed as we talked about last week. And But Lord, we're going to even get there at the end of this service today, and we're going to hear what you said and how someone really can have eternal life with you forever, Lord. So thank you, Lord, for your words of wisdom. Thank you, Lord, that you desire none to perish and the flames of fire and hell forever, Lord. You desire all to be saved. And so, Lord, I just pray right now, Lord God, that in this message, Lord, you'd open hearts and open minds and open ears and help us to understand the things that you want and help us to repent if we're in need of repentance or help us to keep enduring if we're already enduring. Help us to help us to stay faithful to you or become faithful to you in any area of our life that we're unfaithful to you, Lord God. Help us all. I pray, Lord God, that you just change our hearts, Lord, as we listen along, as we hear along. And I, and I pray, Lord God, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word only, that we'd be doers of your word, Lord. We'd be doers of the things which you say. Lord, we thank you, and we love you, and we praise you, Lord. Fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Fill this room with your Holy Spirit, and help us to understand. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. So my thoughts from last week's message, the gospel without repentance. Remember we talked about, I mainly covered, how repentance is an absolute necessary thing for someone to do in order to be saved, right? And how most churches, or so-called Christian churches, don't teach this. How Paul said that in the last days, really that was that whole context, many would turn to a gospel that was really according to their own flesh, right? Uh, No repentance, meaning I I can live in sin. I, I can just have this belief in Jesus, and I, and I can just live any way I want because, hey, Jesus loves me and he died for me. And so now I just believe in him and I can live any way I want. Yet the scripture, the Bible, Jesus Christ teach us against that. The problem with that, of course, is that this is a gospel that doesn't offer eternal life. Uh, we must repent in order to have the right heart condition in order to accept and receive God's forgiveness, God's grace. Until we repent, until we have a change of mind towards God, we can't ever, ever really surrender. We can't ever uh, come to the place in our lives where we know this is it. I'm bowing myself down to Him. And just a belief in someone is not bowing my will down to Jesus Christ and making Him Lord of my life. Well, that's what I covered last week. Well, after I prayed about 
you know, and I asked him what, what I should speak on this week, he reminded me that I didn't really cover the importance of repentance after we're saved. Because I'll say this now, and I might say this a couple times during this overview, repentance is just as important after we're saved as it was before we were saved. It's just as important after we're saved to keep us on the right track, to keep us heading for eternal life. Without it, even after we say we're saved, we can actually backslide and not gain our eternal reward. Kind of like how we were before we were saved. We needed it to get saved. Well, we need it after, in a sense you could say, to continue in salvation, to continue to be saved. So that's what I'm going to do briefly today. Repentance. We're going to talk about what purpose it serves really quick in the life of a believer, in the life of a true Christian. Why is repentance as necessary after salvation as it was before salvation? Well, one of the main reasons is a word called sanctification. I know I've talked about that before, but sanctification is the God's process in our lives. See, after somebody really gets saved... God sends his Holy Spirit into our lives, and he, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit live within us, in a sense. That's what Jesus said. You know, pray and the Father will, will live in you. Jesus spoke about that. Well, sanctification is a process. See, God hates sin. He hates everything to do with sin. And so sanctification is a process, of course, when he saves us. We don't become sinless in our actions perfectly right away, right now. But we become sinless because we're saved and we get sanctified. We get set apart right away by Jesus Christ. So sanctification, this process is God's way in us of making our ways more like his, helping us to be less, you know, or I should say sinless, help us to have more of purity of heart, purity of mind, purity of soul. As God is pure, he wants to make us pure. We're supposed to be holy as God is holy and God makes us holy through our student sanctification process. So how does sanctification work? Well, when a saved person does something wrong or sins against God in some way, it means that God speaks to them personally. So, you know, if you've ever uh, done something wrong since you've been a Christian and you feel that little check, oh, oh, wait a minute, I shouldn't have done that. That's God's sanctification process in you. And he's saying, hey, my son, my daughter, I don't want you to do that. That's wrong. I'm, I don't like lying. I don't like being dishonest. I don't like backbiting. I don't like stealing. I don't like when you're rude to your mom and dad. I don't like when you're unloving. Those are all God's process. Hey, that's sanctification. Hey, hey guys, more like me, more like me. See, God comes to us personally and he disciplines us for this wrong that we did. And he tries to get us to act more in, his, in accordance with how he lived, more holy. The same way... A loving parent comes to their ch- their child as after they've done something wrong and says, you know, Johnny, little Timmy, you know, a little spanking. Hey, my son, my daughter, don't do that. That's not what daddy and mommy wants. That's in a sense exactly what God does to a saved person after they're saved. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. This is sanctification. Why would a saved person need have need of repentance then to keep on the track of salvation? Well, when a saved person sins, when I when you notice I said when, when a saved person sins, because we're all sinners, not that we should be living in sin, but that we should be, you know, of course sinning less, but we're still gonna blow it. We're still gonna sin, unfortunately. When God comes to us and chastens or scourges us for doing this wrong that we just did, doing this sin. 
if we, the Christian, or if you, the Christian, don't humble yourself before God and repent of that sin that you just committed and say, you know what, God, I realize you're right. I shouldn't be doing that. Lord, I'm help me now. I'm, I've got to fight it now. I'm going to try not to do it. Lord, I'm going to work against it. Help me get away from it. I don't want to sin anymore. If we don't do that and we don't actively stop trying to do it and ask him to help us, then what happens is, is that we don't receive or accept his discipline. If then we don't repent time after time after time after time after time that God comes to us in his graciousness, because God is gracious to correct us, if we still refuse to repent of this sin, and if we reject God's correction continually, and we continue in that sin, or those sins that God doesn't like and want us to practice, what happens is is a wedge starts to come between us and God. And our hearts start to grow harder and harder and harder. We hear God less and we start to excuse that sin. And well, that, that just must not be God. And oh, well, you know, and we make excuses and our hearts grow hard and we stop hearing God. And then God eventually can leave us because our love for the sin that we're committing to keep committing it is greater than our love for God. Now, I know this is not according to the normal way that churches teach nowadays because churches are all in this ugly doctrine of once saved, always saved, and oh, once you're saved, you can never walk away from God. But that's not what we read in the Bible. And if you think I'm kidding, I'm going to give you a scriptural reference here. Uh, If you think this can't happen, it actually happened to the same Christian church in Ephesus that this pastor Timothy that Paul is writing to here. It actually happened to this church that Paul that, that, that Paul is writing to Timothy, the pastor of, this first and second Timothy that we're reading of, where Timothy was the pastor of this church. This, this was written, I'm going to read you this in just a second. This was written, what I'm going to read you, to the church and the Christians in this church in Ephesus, where Timothy was the pastor, who had left their first love, if that sounds familiar to you. So they stopped having a relationship with Christ, because that's our first love if we're a Christian. We love him back as he first loved us. And they started loving something else. Listen to this, Revelation 2.5, to Pastor Timothy's church in Ephesus, Jesus Christ says this. Now these are believers. This is a Christian church. This is a church, Revelation 2.5, Christ to the seven churches in Asia. These were Christian churches. Look at what part repentance plays in this church of believers that are walking with Christ or had walked with Christ. Remember, he says, therefore, from where you have fallen. So see, they were somewhere. They were tight with God. Then they had fallen from that. Notice that they had fallen away, right? He says, repent and do the first works. Repent, Christians, and love me again. Or else, he says, I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand. What is that? The lampstand, the lampstand, Revelation 1 tells us, is the church. God says, Jesus said, repent, love me again, or else I'm going to take away your church. Okay? From its place, unless you repent. Well, guess what? That church no longer exists today. That church in Ephesus is no longer a church anymore. What does that mean? That means that the people of Timothy's church in Ephesus never repented of their loss of love for Jesus 
and they're fallen away from Jesus. They never repented and they continued to love something else. As we're going to see about a guy in today's scripture, actually, in our next verses that we're going to read for our service. They never repented from their falling away and God took away their church. And in essence, God left them. So yes, ladies and gentlemen, God can leave you if you fall away from him. It starts with you. God is faithful and just. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. But if you leave him willfully because you start to love something else and you start to live for something else, Christians, then just like how Jesus said here, I'm going to take away your lampstand. I'm going to leave you. God will leave you today. So please understand, Christians, repentance and your walk with Christ now that you're saved is, is, is as just as important as it was in you getting saved to stay saved, okay? So Christians, if God comes to you and says you need to stop and repent of XYZ type of sin or sins, whatever they may be, then you need to humble yourselves and repent or else you show God that you don't want his direction or correction and that you love that sin that you want to practice and you love that sin that he's telling you to stop more than you love him. And then he leaves you and the sad result is, of course, if God leaves you, well then if he's left you, you're certainly not going to want to spend forever with him forever. If you don't want to spend now with him and you don't want to worship him and love him now, why would you certainly want to spend all eternity with him forever? So therefore, you'll lose your eternal life as well too. You forfeit, I should say, your eternal life because you start loving the sin more than you love God. All right, on, that's some sad news. Now we get some good news. It's a bad news again toward the end, but let's get on to our new message. Uh, title of our new message, The Crown of Righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 4 Verses 5 through 10. I know we studied all the way to chapter or to verse 5 last week, but we're going to go just back one just for message sake. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 through 10. I'm going to read them, and then we're going to talk about them. So if you guys are there, you guys can join me, or you can just listen along. Chapter 4, verse 5, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, But you... Remember, this is Timothy. But you, Timothy, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy. Fulfill your ministry. Finish, in a sense, your ministry, Timothy. Do all you can. Finish it. Fulfill it. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. So he was about to die. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, I could just hear that sigh there. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, where our title comes from today in our service, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. But be diligent to come to me quickly, Timothy. So obviously Paul was wanting Timothy to come quickly. Obviously we know he was about to die, so Paul knew he was about to die, so Timothy had to come quickly. For Demas, now listen to this, has forsaken me, having loved this present world. I know we've heard that before. And has departed for Thessalonica, Crescentus for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Now, 
I just, like I said, I had to go back one verse. I know we studied that verse last week, but it just ties into this message. Uh, just read it over, you know, as we read it over, uh, just quickly, verse 5, Paul says, Hey, Timothy, stay watchful. Watch the things that are coming. Be, be careful. I told you, I warned you all these things. Be watchful, right? Uh, endure afflictions. Keep going, Timothy. Hey, things are going to come your way, but just keep going. Keep being faithful. Keep on going, right? Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. Finish, Timothy. You need to finish the work that God has given you. We all can't serve God forever. Why not? Well, just like Hebrews talks about how the priests, they live, they die. We all die. We can't serve God in this flesh forever because we die. So there's a finish line, you could say, to every one of our ministries, to every one of our lives, there's a finishing point. So Paul says here to Timothy, hey, keep going, Timothy. Keep trudging along for God. Do the things that God's told you to do. Run the race and don't stop. Don't stop. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep doing what God called you to do. Keep being faithful to what God called you to do. Just keep moving forward and don't look back and don't stop. Just a thought on that. Christians, there is everything to be said about your continuing to be faithful in what God has called you to do. As Paul encouraged Timothy here, keep going. Good godly works are in fact, I don't know if you knew this, one of the things God wants you to do once he saves you. And Ephesians 2.10 tells us that. Paul writes, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So God created you for good works. He created you and he said, My son, here I, I'm going to give you this new life. Now that I've given you this new life, here's all the things that I have for you to do, my son or my daughter. Welcome aboard, but here's the checklist. Kind of like when you get hired onto a job. Okay, all right, you're, you're hired into this new job, uh, John, Paul, Peter, whatever. Hey, here's the list of the duties now that you have in this new job that you have. Here, here you go. Well, that's kind of like what, it, what it's like for Christians. Well, so many Christians start running the race that God sets before them of certain good works for his kingdom. Because, you know, we're all built differently. God has different works for different people to do. So he has certain works for some people, other works for others. Not everybody's to do the same thing. And because for any number of reasons, they, you know, they're running the race, but for any number of reasons, usually nonsense reasons, they quit or they stop doing what God called them to do. A long time ago, I used to have a brother in the Lord who told me that he had been called to intercessory prayer. What that means is, is God had laid upon his heart, hey, my child, I want you to pray for the salvation of others. I want you to pray, you know, for growth for Christians, whatever. I want you to pray for other people. This is not so, I mean, we're all kind of supposed to be praying for other people. As the Bible talks about, we're supposed to be praying for one another. But certain people are really called for, to this specific ministry of that's their main thing that God wants them to do. Pray for other people. He had told me all this because we were talking about it and I told him that I actually God had called me to the same thing. But then, you know, as we knew one another for a little bit, he had admitted to me that though he was faithful for a while, 
doing what God had called him to do, faithfully praying for other people because of things that came up in his life and a couple times that he had sinned and, you know, he felt that he was unworthy to pray or whatever, that he had stopped doing what God had called him to do. So, of course, I encouraged him, hey, get back on the horse, but I don't think he ever really ever started again. And that's kind of how, unfortunately, how it works. And we can get hot, but if we lose it, we kind of can just lose it. And then we just never just begin again because it's like God maybe moved on and gave that ministry to somebody else because you were unfaithful. So uh, Christians, there's power in you continuing to be faithful to God in the work that he's called you to do. It's a work that he called you to do. And I would liken it to, you know, Jesus gave a parable, which was a spiritual picture, or I should say a physical picture of a spiritual idea. So Imagine that there's power in this. You're heavy set, and you know your doctors told you, "Hey, you need to lose weight." And so, what do you do? You start exercising, and you start eating right, and you go for a little while, and you go for a little while, and you see some results. But then, you know, some problem happens, and then you know we're com- a lot of people are comfort eaters. We like that food because it just makes us feel better after we've had a bad day. And oh well, then. You know, the car broke down. And oh, well, then, you know, uh, my, my husband's now, he's not being nice to me. Before you know it, you started off good, but then before you know it, you've fallen off the wagon. And what happened is you, you gained 10 pounds after the 5 pounds that you lost. There's power, though, if you would have just continued to diet, not not diet like binge diet, but if you'd have, st- if you'd have kept eating better and you'd have kept exercising, that would have been power to do what? Continue to trim up continue to lose weight but usually what throws us off is bad things happen in our lives and we think about those bad things and then we get thrown off track so you see there's same power in doing what god calls us to do and being faithful to keep doing that as there is in like trying to lose weight with eating healthier and exercising spiritually look at what james says in james 5 16 that on this uh, continuing to do god's good works in prayer he says the effective which means we're praying how god wants us to pray we're, we could say eating right the effective fervent prayer fervent prayer means that we're not just praying one time we're continuing to pray We're praying over and over and over and over and over again more, and we keep going fervent prayer. Lord, please, Lord. It's a, it's, Lord, it's, 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 you're putting your effort into it. It's not just, well, Lord, I just, you know, pray, you know, it's fervent prayer, the effective doing the way God wants to, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That would be in God's eyes. Where's the power in us continuing to pray the way God wants us to? And in fervency, which means we keep doing it and we keep doing it and we keep going, is the by James just said, God hears us more. Wow. So look at that. So not so there is power, Christians, and you continuing to do what God called you to do. Just keep that in your minds. I want you to remember that so many are faithful in the beginning. But then they fall away as times get tough. We can't be binge prayers or we can't be binge evangelists or we can't be binge teachers like we're binge eaters. We have to get on the right path and we have to stay on it. And there's power in it. And Satan knows there's power in it. So when he tries to bring you know, adversity into your life, he knows what he's doing. He knows that he's, that he's, he's throwing a wrench into your plan and he knows that 
chances are you're going to quit because things got hard, get hard. So show him up and put it in his face and let God hear you more in prayer and fervently do all things for God, not just once here and there. But that's not all there's power in in continuing. Yes, there's power in continuing in serving God, but there's power in and everything to be said about, and this is like what our whole rest of our service is going to be about, continuing to run the race of faith in Jesus Christ to be saved, or God calls you home also. Kind of like we talked about in our overview. We're going to see that in the rest of our message too. For only those, remember Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13, only those who endure to the end in Him, and that would be faithfully trusting in Him, faithfully obeying Him, and faithfully following Him are going to be saved. Only those that do that. For if we stop faith, in him, if we stop trusting in him totally and believing in him and following him and, and hoping in him, then we can forfeit our eternal life. You could see Second Timothy two five. Remember Timothy says, We're not crowned. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And of course, if we don't compete according to God's rules and obeying and serving and following and trusting in Jesus, which is author and perfecter of our faith, then we'll forfeit our eternal life and we won't compete according to the rules, and we'll lose our crown. So Paul encourages Timothy to keep being faithful to God and to fulfill the ministry that God gave him. That means that what? Timothy was in the midst of, or currently needing to keep being faithful to God and to the ministry that he had given him, right? I mean, Paul's actively telling him to do it. It's not something that's past tense. It's not something that's future tense. It's something that's Right now, present tense, keep doing these things. That means that he was right in the midst of doing it. Look what Paul says about himself, verse 6. There's two things here. For I am already being poured out as drink offering, and the time of my departure is here. First thing he says, he says, I, Timothy, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Literally, spiritually, this means, imagine physically being emptied of all his strength for the work or because of or in the work of God. So emptying himself, think of a glass of water and you pouring it into the sink and it emptying out, draining out. What are you left with? You're left with an empty glass of water. Paul, ladies and gentlemen, was the greatest missionary that I've ever known. He was the greatest missionary out of all the disciples in the Bible. He wasn't even an original disciple. Uh, Judas got, uh, basically he betrayed Jesus, so he got kicked out and he killed himself. And so they needed a replacement. Matthias is who the disciples chose, I believe. And then I really believe God chose Paul after that. So Paul was the greatest missionary that the Bible really ever saw. And ever since I've read over all the little Christian documents throughout the years, he was really the greatest missionary that I ever saw anybody serve God. I never saw anybody serve God and give up more for God than I saw Paul give up for God. Paul literally lived out what he wrote in Romans 12.1 in a powerful, supernatural, spiritual way. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. That means, come on, guys. This is what God wants you to do. By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Hey, guys, look at me. I've given up everything. I've gone, remember, Paul ended his life in prison in Rome. 
And we're going to talk about that in a moment. A, which is your holy, acceptable service to God, which is your reasonable service, he goes on to say. And Paul did this more than anybody that I've ever known in my life. Anybody I saw in the Bible, anybody I've read extra biblical accounts of anybody that did that. Paul literally poured himself out and he emptied himself out onto the second part, the end of his race. Notice he puts that in there, second part. My and, and the time of my departure is at hand. I emptied myself, I poured out myself for God to the end of my life. You see, Paul's time was right around the corner and he knew it. Not sure exactly when he wrote 2 Timothy, but it was written shortly before he died. And again, he knew it as he states here, I'm about to die. This is it. I followed God. I fought the good fight of faith. I've run the race all the way till the end. Here's my end. And I finished the race. He died in Rome in 65 AD under the hand of Nero. And because of how he poured out himself for God by his service and by his works and by his love for the Lord, and he he was about to die, he goes on to say, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You see, Paul never gave up. No matter how hard it was, he never stopped serving God. No matter through what adversity that he went through, no matter through how hard it was, he never stopped loving God, he never stopped loving Jesus, and he never stopped pouring himself out for God. He continued in the faith of Jesus Christ. He continued to trust him. He continued to serve him. He continued to have confidence in Christ that he was always with him and able to save him through the doubtful times in his life and and through a, a life of suffering and torment he had been through by the hands of the persecutors since becoming a Christian. Just listen to this one excerpt of what he kind of encapsulates his whole life in 2 Corinthians. Well, up to this point, I should say. He encapsulates his whole life in 2 Corinthians 11, 25-28. Here, of course, he had had more adversity, but up into 2 Corinthians 11, 25-28, look at what he had been through. He says to these Christians in this church, he says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Well, one time with, beaten with a rod could kill you. He was beaten three times with rods. Once I was stoned. And he doesn't just mean they hit him with a couple rocks. They stoned him to death. You could read about it in the book of Acts. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, those that pretended to be Christians but weren't, in weariness, toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides other things, besides other things. He left some things out. There were more that he suffered than he already just said. Could you imagine? That would be enough to make even the toughest sailor leave his post, but not Paul. He kept going. Besides other things, what comes upon me daily, and then he goes on to say, my deep concern for all the churches. See, why would he be concerned about the churches? Well, he knew salvation's hard. He knew following Christ was hard. He knew faith was hard. He knew about all these evil people that were going to come into the church and try to, you know, from the devil and and get in there and try to destroy the church. He knew all these things. And yet 
through it all, through all that he suffered, through all his anguish and through all his concern for the churches, and I'm sure he was praying for the churches, and even though he knew it was going to happen, he was tore up about it, but he just had to keep praying, he just had to keep pushing forward, and through it all, he never gave up, he persevered through it all, and he fought the good fight, and he kept the faith through it all to the very end of his life, and because he did, Look at the privilege he says that he attains here because of his continuing in the faith and faithfulness unto Christ Jesus. Look at verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. I can hear this finally, as I kind of said earlier. Finally, oh gosh, finally. Thank you, Jesus, I've made it. Kind of like a, a runner who's been running a long distance race. And he's been running, he's been running for miles, for days, for weeks, for months, for years. And he's running and he's running and he's running and he rests and he keeps running and he rests and he keeps running and he keeps going and he sees the finish line. And he's just about to get to the finish line. Could you imagine after after years of running, I've made it. Finally, my brother, and there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Hey, I made it, Tim. I made it. Ed, I made it, Nate. I finished the race, which the Lord, the righteous judge, this crown of righteousness is going. To, he, this this crown of righteousness that God is going to give him, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. He finally finished the race. He was right there, and because he finished the race, faithful in Christ. God was about to give him this crown of righteousness on that day. Well, whenever you hear that word, on that day, that means that God's talking about here the day of judgment. Let me explain. How is Paul going to receive a crown of righteousness on the day of judgment by God, you may be saying? Because this is the day of judgment that Paul's talking about. Well, you see, when we die, immediately after we die, let's say now, and when Paul died then, same then, immediately for people, it's heaven or hell. When you die, for your spirit, though. See, for all souls. Heaven or hell, depending on the choices you made while alive. But at the end of days, that's when we die now. But at the end of days, there's going to be what the Bible calls the day of judgment. Where God gathers all people before him. And not just in any way. We're going to be gathered before him in resurrected new bodies. Like the body that Jesus came back in where he was in his new flesh but he was, you know, he could disappear. So he had spiritual properties, but a, but a physical type of body. It's going to be that type of body where God gathers all people before him in these resurrected bodies and either grants people eternal life forever in their new bodies, and that would be in the new heaven, not the spiritual heaven, but a new heavens and a new earth that God's going to make in their new bodies, or God's going to give eternal death or the lake of fire to people's new bodies, and the reference would be to the in the Bible would be the second death. There's an eternal life forever is not the heaven we know now or that we hear about in the Bible now, the one that we think of now. It's an actually a real not not that the heaven now isn't real, but it's a it's a more tangible heaven that's going to come down, and it's a new heavens and a new earth, and where all the righteous are going to dwell, and we'll actually be able to get a crown, the crown that Paul's talking about here, the crown of righteousness or the crown of life to those that made it. And we'll have crowns in heaven. Isn't that awesome? And Paul really says here that because he had fought the good fight of faith for God, 
And because he finished the race that God had set before him until the end of his life, remaining faithful to Jesus Christ, staying in the faith of Christ, and not falling away from Christ, he was going to finally be assured of attaining this crown of righteousness or this resurrection from the dead, as the Bible so often calls it. Earlier in his ministry, though, Paul wasn't sure. He wasn't so sure that he was going to get that crown of eternal life. Now, you may be saying, well, Pastor, that's impossible. Paul was the missionary of missionaries. He was the, he, of course, he knew that he was going to get it. Well, if he knew that he was going to get it, he wouldn't have said in Philippians 3.11, if, the word if means it's not a for sure, if, by any means, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. You see, That meant that Paul knew that he wasn't guaranteed the crown of life just because he had been saved at at one time. You see, he knew that he could possibly, if he didn't remain faithful, and if he didn't keep walking with God, if he didn't keep faith in Christ, he could lose his reward of eternal life from God if he didn't continue in the faith until the end of his life. Paul knew that making it to the end of the road, the the finish line, you can call it, faithful in Jesus Christ, staying in the faith and not falling away from Christ was hard. And he had seen many people up until his time fall away because the road is long and hard and difficult that leads to life. And Jesus even said it here in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it because, listen to this, why is the road hard? Why is the road narrow? Why is the road difficult? Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. The way that leads to eternal life is not very easy. It's difficult, as Jesus says. And he goes on to say there are few that find it. Why is it so difficult? Well, we have these stupid flesh bodies to deal with and these stupid flesh desires to deal with in our stupid human brains that always want to doubt. Every day I have doubt on certain things that I pray for. And I know I'm praying in God's will. And yet, as I'm praying, I'm doubting. And And I'll even say, well, Lord, why am I doubting? I know you hear me. I know I'm praying according to your word. I know that you hear those that pray according to your word. Why do I doubt like I do? God, I feel like that guy in scripture where he prayed, you know, he asked Jesus to heal his son and Jesus said, do you believe? He says, I believe, but Lord help my unbelief. See, it's all, it's, it's like a, it's like a contradiction. Our spiritual man in us, if we're Christians, says, believe Christ can do all things. Yes. Amen. Everything in him is yes and Amen. But our mental, physical bodies say, oh, I don't know, I don't think that, oh, that's going to take a miracle, oh, I don't think that could happen. And our flesh says, oh, lust, oh, lust after the things of the world, oh, I need those things of the world, oh, I need that, oh, and then it wants to start running after those things of the flesh, and yet the Spirit says, no, hey, all this stuff's perishing away, don't love it, we're going to read about that in a moment, hey, don't love it, love God. Follow Christ. Do the work. Fulfill your ministry. 
Do the work of an evangelist. Do the things God's laid for you to do. Don't go chasing after that stuff. It ain't no good. And you see, because of these things, we can get torn if we don't stay solid and firm in our faith in Christ Jesus and stay firm in the faith. We can easily get torn away and into chasing the things of this world and get off track. Now, back to the message. James mentions the same crown in James 1.12 that Paul references here, except he calls it by a different name. And he, and, he, and he look at what he says here on how and who actually attains it or gets, or gets this crown. He says, blessed is the man, well, that would be anybody, who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, or you could say, made it to the end of that, you know, finished, you didn't fall away, you stayed. You endured that temptation. You continued in Christ, as Paul did, remember? I finished the race. Finished the race. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Same thing, crown of righteousness, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Well, it didn't say that the people that loved the world and that fell away from the faith, they got that crown of life. It said to those that endured and to those who loved Jesus Christ, or loved God in Jesus Christ, right? Until the end. Endurance, love, living for him, having faith in him, that's who got the crown, okay? this I mean, it's a common theme throughout the whole Bible. Look at how Paul ends this verse, same as James just did. And not to me only is this crown of righteousness going, but also to all who have loved his appearings, all those that have loved Jesus Christ coming. And you see, if we're loving the world and the things of the world, we can't be loving God and Jesus Christ also, right? There's simply no doubt about it, ladies and gentlemen. God is faithful to reward with eternal life, resurrection from the dead, crown of life, righteousness, however you want to call it, only the person who endures in their faith in Christ and is faithful to love Christ until the end of their lives. The person who continues to walk with Christ and never quits. The person that continues to walk with Christ and never gives up. And no matter how hard it gets, because it will get hard. It's been hard for me for 16 years. And if you've been a Christian for any more than a few days or a few weeks or a few months, you already know it's hard too. It's hard to keep believing. It's hard to keep having faith. It's hard to keep that repentant walk All of that is hard because it's contrary against our natural flesh desires. And you see, unfortunately, as we just read about that side of Paul and and Timothy and what Christ said, unfortunately, Paul wrote that. And then he says, in a sense, unfortunately, not everybody makes it. I know I finished. Timothy, I'm encouraging you to finish. But not everybody who begins well with Christ, ends well with Christ, and endures in Christ, and perseveres until the end, being faithful to love Jesus Christ. Look at verses 9 and 10. Be diligent to come to me quickly. Obviously, as I already said, he's about to die. He wants to see Timothy before he was going to die. Timothy was going to come. Hey, come on, quick, Tim. Verse 10. For Demas has forsaken me, Hmm. having loved this present world. Look at that. Demas forsook Paul because of his love for this present world. And has departed for Thessalonica, so he left me. And then Crescens for Galatia and Titus for Dalmatia. Now, now here, these fellows, all of them, Demas, 
Crescentus and Titus all forsook Paul. And according to Paul, the reason, at least for Demas, forsaking him, was because of his love for this present world. Notice here that Paul did not say that Demas was going to get this crown of righteousness or this resurrection from the dead as he said that he would. Notice Paul didn't say that Demas loved the coming of Jesus Christ, for Demas had forsaken Paul for the love of the world. This means that Demas not only turned away from Paul, but that he also stopped following and loving Jesus Christ because of his love for the world and the things of the world, like money and pleasures and you know other things, etc., Demas is a perfect but sad example of the type of person that Jesus mentions in the parable of the sower. What is the parable of the sower? Jesus gave a parable and he said, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like a sower goes out to sow these seeds and some is, they go here, some go on this rocky soil and, and some go on this shallow soil and some seeds go among the weeds and some seeds go among the good soil. And he referenced the seed as the word of God and the soil as men's hearts. So some people's hearts are like rocky soil. Some are like shallow soil. Some uh, soil, some hearts are like weeds. You know, they have weeds growing in them. And then some hearts are actually have some good soil. Well, each soil represents a person. And Demas here fits into one of these categories. He fits into the number three soil or the number three heart. Look at what Jesus said in about the third seed, about the seed, the seed that had gone into the soil, the heart with had the weeds grown in it. Listen to what he said. Here's the parable, Matthew 13, 7. Jesus said, And some, this is the third seed, fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up, and it choked them. You So you see, the seed started to grow. And then as the seed grew, that person had their heart. They allowed these weeds to grow in there. What were the weeds and what did they do? Well, we're going to find out what the weeds were in a second. But what did they do? They choked the plant. Well, how long if I came to your house and I wrapped my hands around your throat and I started choking you, how long would it be? How long do you think I could choke you until I killed you? Could I choke you forever? No. I could only choke you. You could only choke me for so long before we'd what? We'd die. So the seed was growing. Weeds grew on the growing plant, choked it, and then, of course, if the heart didn't stop, it choked it to death. And listen to what Jesus said about the explanation of the third seed, Matthew 13, 22. Or, yes, 13, 22. Now, he who receives seed among the thorns, third seed, is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Well, You can't become unfruitful unless you became fruitful to begin with. So this is a Christian who loved God, who started living for God. This is the person that that heard the word and, and they received the word and they started growing and bearing good fruit for God's kingdom. Yet, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, so the things of the world, got into that person's plant that was growing for God and choked it out to where the person became unfruitful and really they stopped following Christ. So this is Demas. 
This type of person in the parable and Demas simply didn't continue in the faith of Christ because the love of this present world and the things therein. Look at what John says in 1 John 2, 15-17 about the love of the world. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Ouch. That hurts. But that's not all he has to say. Look at what he goes on to say. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And we know the will of God is not just to believe in Jesus, but it's to love Jesus and to follow Jesus and to submit to Jesus. We'll talk about it at the end of the service. Remember, Jesus even said in Matthew 16, 20, or 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God or love God and mammon, or the spirit of things, or the things of this world. And Demas, this Demas that forsook Paul to love this present world again, this is exactly what he did. He started to love the things of the world more than he loved Jesus Christ. Christians, this falling in love with the world and the things therein is a danger for every true believer in Christ who is currently saved. Christians, we need to be careful that we don't stop loving Christ or that we don't leave following Him and that we, and that we love Him until the end of our lives if we're following Him no matter what, now we keep loving them and we don't go after the things of the world to love them and serve them. This world and its supposed treasures are awful deceitful and they draw you in the deceitfulness of riches. This is what the parable said. The deceitfulness of riches or the deceitfulness of the things of this world can take you and grab hold of you and make a snare in your life. In light of what we read today concerning Timothy, Paul and Demas and those others who had forsaken Paul and Christ, I must ask a most serious question to all those listening to me today. A question to those all over the world, as I know this broadcast will be heard all over the world. If you would consider yourself a Christian today, are you enduring in your faith in Christ? Are you continuing to run the race of faith in Christ? Since you have started following him, as Jesus said, you must do to be saved in Scripture. Are you still loving Jesus Christ? Are you still living a life of love to him, as James and Paul both wrote in our Scriptures today that we read over? If so, please don't stop. Please keep going. As Paul said that he did, right? Paul said, I've finished the race. I've run the race. I've kept faith. I've not fallen away. I've pushed forward to the finish line so I could receive the crown of faith. And I exhort you and and encourage every believer that's listening to me to do that. Don't take these things that you hear from these other preachers out of the Bible. Oh, you've been saved. You're good. Now, whatever you want, you can live any way you want. Believe and you're good. That's a life in the pit of hell. Yes, God loves you. Yes, Christ died for you on the cross. But you must love him back. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul said. That's what James said. To those who love him, go the light, it goes the eternal life. Not to those who just believe in him. 
And Christians, be on guard not to fall in love with this world and the things therein. Loving the things of this world can be eternally dangerous for your souls. And it's no joke. <clears throat> Loving the things of this world will pull you off track. They'll divert you. They'll drag you off the path. And they'll suck you into perdition quicker than you can say perdition. It's a dangerous, real danger that you have to be careful of and watch out for. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. On the other side, the Demas and the church in Ephesus, remember my overview? The church in Ephesus had done the same thing. They had left their first love for what? Well, they had to leave their first love and go to love someone else. We, we are built to love something. We're either going to love ourselves We're going to love our things, we're going to love our families, we're going to love our houses, we're going to love the things of the world, or we're going to love Christ above it all. We're going to love something, though, and we're going to serve something, though, ladies and gentlemen. This Demas and this church in Ephesus that we read about in my overview today, they started loving something else more than they loved God, more than they loved Christ. Are you like them? who for the love of the world or whatever other thing that you started loving more than him have left your first love, Jesus Christ, and you've fallen away or backslidden, as is a popular term that most people use today, most churches. James, Paul, and Christ were very clear in Scripture that if you have backslidden or if you've fallen away from Jesus Christ, and you're living a life of love, and you're not living a life of love unto Him, and you've stopped enduring in your faith in Him, and you've stopped running the race of faith in Him, you will not receive the crown of righteousness, the resurrection from the dead, or eternal life for all eternity. You will forsake. You will forfeit your eternal life if you have backslidden. If you were to die right now in your backslidden state, you have not finished the race faithful in Jesus Christ. And if you're in that state right now, you don't know when you're going to die. You could die right now. You could die tomorrow. And if you never get back to running the race, if you never get back to being faithful to Jesus Christ and never come back to loving him, then you will forfeit your eternal life. And God will say, I never knew you once you come to stand before him, you worker of iniquity, you who lived for yourself and you stopped living for me. I and the Bible are warning you. You're on a dangerous path to hell again because you've forsaken your relationship with Christ and you've turned again to love the world and the things of the world or whatever and you've stopped running the race of faith in Jesus Christ. I exhort you today, please come back. Come back. Repent, as Jesus said to the church in Ephesus. Do the first works again. Come back to loving Jesus Christ. Come back to following Jesus Christ and get away from the love of this world. God loves us so much. And He loves you whether you're lost or whether you're saved or whether you've never been saved or or whether you're saved to this day. God loves you so much. Jesus Christ gave up everything to save you. He gave His life on the cross. He poured out His life unto death. For you, a sinner, while you were in your sin. O man or O woman, whoever you may be. God loves you so much. And he gave up everything to be with you. But he wants you to love him. Now maybe you've listened to this message and you would say that you're not even a Christian. 
you'd say you don't even know what it means to love Jesus Christ, like Paul and James both said and like the Bible talked about. Well, that's okay, because guess what? You're still alive today. And because you're still living, that means God's grace is still there for you. That means it's okay. God's giving you another opportunity. God's saying, all right, I, I see uh, you, you want to know how to love me back? I'm going to give you an opportunity and I'm going to give you an opportunity and I'm going to show you what Jesus said because we can only go to his words. We can't take man's words. We got to go to Jesus' words and see what Jesus said. How, we, how do we love him? So what did Jesus say? How does, it, how does Jesus expect you to love him? Well, look at here, Matthew 10, 37 through 39. Jesus is going to tell you. He says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. What is he saying? If you love, it's okay to love your mother and your father and your brother and your sister and all those. So that's great. But Jesus said, if you love them more than me, you're not worthy of me. So you must decide to say, hey, I'm going to put Jesus above loving him above even the love of my father or mother and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me same thing you can't love your family more than you love god more than you love christ okay he who who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me he doesn't he who doesn't come to me start listening to what i tell you to do and start doing the things that i tell you to do you're you're not worthy of me you're not really wanting to be my disciple and he who finds his life will lose it so what, what he's saying there if you want to run your own life if you want to be the master of your destiny if you want to be the lord of your own life then you're not worthy of me. You've lost your eternal life because you want control over your own life. And here's what he says. Ultimately, ultimately, he says, here's how what it means to really start to love me. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who surrenders their will, their life, their heart. Jesus, I don't, you know what? I've blown it. I've messed it up. You know what? I give it to you. I want you to run my life now. I don't want to run my life anymore. Jesus, I want to put my life in your hands, and I'm going to make you the boss of my life, Lord. I don't want to be the boss anymore. Starts with surrender. He who loses life for my sake will find it, and that's how you start loving Jesus. You make a decision to surrender your life and your heart and allowing him to take over and become the Lord of your life. And once you've done that now, here's where I, like I started in the beginning of the service, uh, now that you've been saved, you've repented and you've turned to Christ, you've been saved, God says, okay, my son, my daughter, here's what I want you to do. Then you need to pick up his words, the words of the gospel and his teachings that are in them, and you need to make it your aim to live like he told you to live, to do the things that he told you to do, and to follow his teachings as close as possible. For it's only those that do the things which I say, Jesus says, are those that love me. So we start loving him by surrender. By You could say, like marriage, when we decide to get married, right? We say, I don't want to be single anymore. I want to be joined to this man or this woman. Well, in a sense, this is what salvation is like. This is what starting to love Jesus Christ is giving up your right to be single, giving up your right to own and run your own life, and saying, you know what, Jesus, I want to be married to you. You're my husband, because he's always the husband. A husband is the spiritual leader in the Bible. 
I want to be yours, Jesus. I want to be yours. And you be my master. You be my Lord. You be my husband. And this is what it means to start loving Jesus Christ. To turn, he invites you to start to love him back. And, and not just love him back for a minute. But like real marriage, and what well, it's not really in America anymore, but like real marriage, till death do you part. Now, he's told you how to love him. Ball's in your court. You've been informed. Say, you're not. And say, you know, I never have been. Well, hey, now you know. Now you know what Christ expects. How do we do this? You've got to take what you've learned. What are you going to do with what you've learned? Are you going to throw it away? Not to, you know, throw away the love and sacrifice that Jesus Christ has shown for you? Or, or are you going to act on it, wave the white flag of surrender uh, of the control of your life, and, and give your heart and spiritual marriage to God? Listen, give your heart in the spiritual marriage unto God. How do we do this? How do we start doing this? Well, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We've all blown it. None of us are making it to heaven by our own merit, by our own good works. We need someone to help us get there. We need someone to help us get to know God if we really want to get to know God. And that man is Jesus Christ. He gave his life on the cross. You take him. You, you surrender to him. You fall on your face and you apologize to God for all the times that you've been wrong and you've done things against him. You've sinned against God. We all have. That sin and that rebellion against God will keep you from knowing God intimately. So you fall on your knees. You surrender to God. You say, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. I need Jesus. I need you. Please save me. I want to know you. I want to get to know you, Lord. Please, I want to be yours. And the Bible says that if you believe that he did this with all your heart, not just with your mind, and you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you make him Lord of your life, then you shall be saved. And this is what God wants from you. God loves you, but what he wants more than anything is for you and me and the world to love him back. Will you love him back? Will you surrender and start to love God today? I sure hope you do. And I'm going to pray for you, because let's all pray and let's close. Thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you so much, dear God, for your words. Your words that lead us to life. Lord, your word gives life, Lord. You are the life-giving God. Not our life in this world, because you give us all our lives now, but Lord, you are the eternally life-giving God. You give life for eternity to those that really want to know you. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for the examples of Paul and Timothy who were fighting the good fight of faith, who were running the race, Lord. And Lord, I pray that we would continue and that we would keep running the race and to the finish line until we're with you and that we wouldn't stop until we're before your throne, lay on our faces, thanking you that we're there. And Lord, I pray for those that are like Demas today, those that haven't, those that have stopped like Demas did, loving the present world who once knew you but had fallen off, they had fallen away from you. I pray, Lord God, that you'd help them come back to you to realize, Lord, that what they've run after is they can't take it with them forever. They can only have it with them for a little while. And then after that, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or they can gain it all for the love of this world, but when you gain it all in this world, you lose your own soul. 
So Lord, I pray for those types of people that are listening to this message. And even those types of people all over the world, I pray that you draw them back to you. And that they will come back to you, that they would surrender and they stop living in foolishness, Lord, and submit their lives to Jesus Christ again. And Lord, I pray for all those that have never known you, that are listening or that, that are just in this world, Lord. I pray you'd continue to show them your love and your grace, Lord, and you'd give them another day. And that you'd come to them again and that you'd show them who you are, Lord, and you'd draw them to you. And that you'd bring some of them to salvation today, Lord. Pray they'd start to seek you and that you would save them, help them. Lord, to surrender and submit their lives to you right now. We love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.